0: Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence Medical Experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Mary Ranoff, and here with me today is Dr. Abra who's who heads up our emergency medicine program in Providence in California. And today we're answering your questions about emergency care and COVID-19. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at Providence and on Facebook under Providence Health System. Use the hashtag doc, that's hashtag TalkWithADoc, for a chance to hear your question on our episodes. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. Always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started today by welcoming Dr. Abershamian. As a reminder, I want to remind everybody that the information provided during this event is for information purposes only. If you have any questions around the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit our website at coronavirus.providence.org for official updates. This event does not create a doctor-patient relationship and any questions or medical advice discussed is not considered guidance on what you should do. If you have medical questions, please reach out to your primary health or care provider. So let's get started by joining us today with Dr. Abershamian. Is an emergency medicine specialist at Providence in California. So thank you, Dr. A, for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. Good afternoon.
0: We are very excited to have you because there are so many questions that we've been getting from people about COVID, about how it affects care. And so if you could just start by telling us a little bit about how COVID impacts your day-to-day working in an emergency department.
1: Um, So good question. Thanks for having me back. Um, So I'm an emergency physician at Providence Little Company of Mary in Torrance, um, and I'm the EDAP director, which means I oversee pediatric quality review, and I wear many hats as far as uh, some operations there. We're working eight or nine hour shifts as usual, starting anywhere from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., and we're seeing and treating anything that comes in through the front door, whether it's stroke, heart conditions, orthopedic emergencies, lacerations, neurological conditions, whatever comes in. Um, and infectious diseases such as COVID-19. So, basically, um, as far as how COVID-19 has affected us, we are like other California emergency departments, actually experiencing lower patient volumes. Um, and so, you know, that's that's presented a lot of operational changes for us as far as how we all enter the hospital. Uh, all the staff is screened as far as fever and signs of infection before we even come in the door. And in addition to the universal precautions and diligent hand washing and all that, um, there's a totally different flow on how to don and doff our uh, PPE or personal protective gear. I'm sure you have lots of questions about that, too.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that you have less people in, in the emergency room, because I, I imagine there's a couple of reasons. Right. I imagine that people aren't out doing everything they were doing. So they're not experiencing as many injuries or car accidents. Absolutely. One, we're also telling people to stay home, right? So they're probably trying to shelter in place. But then I'm guessing that there's a pretty big fear from people of if I go into the emergency room, am I either a going to get COVID or b am I going to take away from the care providers that need to take care of COVID patients? So what would you say to those people?
1: Absolutely, I think people have definitely come from a place of compassion about not wanting to infect themselves, but also you know wanting to respect healthcare workers and other patients in the emergency department. They've also they've done such a good job that they've almost put their needs on a um, kind of taken a back seat as far as their emergencies and their medical needs out of fear of either getting covid or any any preoccupation about you know staying at home which is great but i think that now we're actually seeing people not coming in because they're they're too afraid and having changed the flow in the emergency department we actually have covid-19 designated areas including a tent outside of the emergency department where people are kind of shipped off um, with any COVID signs, mild URI symptoms, or upper respiratory tract symptoms, kind of for rapid screening. And they're totally separated from, you know, no, the normal emergencies, the the heart attacks, the abdominal pain, the appendicitis, the gallbladders, um, and all our pediatric patients who don't have the COVID signs. So it's actually a great time to be an emergency department patient our waiting rooms essentially empty because nobody's waiting. They're either going to the tent or they're going to the COVID area or to the non-COVID area. So we have an amazing kind of protocol in place right now.
0: So you mentioned the waiting rooms. Um, I know in some of the system, people are not allowed to go in with the patient that they're, it's mostly a drop off and you can either wait in the car out in the parking lot, unless, you know, you're, you're an interpreter or you're the parent, that sort of thing. Is that accurate in California as well?
1: Absolutely. And we have interpreters for any language you could ever imagine uh, in the emergency department um, via basically an iPad uh, video conferencing translator. It's pretty slick. um, And there's a face of somebody speaking your language. And so that that should never really be an issue. So uh, for for staff and for patients, um, we actually have changed our visitor policy to exclude very, very extenuating circumstances so that basically uh, we're Facetiming with patients' families. We're calling them. Uh, they're calling them and keeping in contact as far as pickup if they're going home, or just keeping them posted about how they're doing and answering their questions in real time.
0: So, if I heard you right, I come to the emergency room. I go through a testing, a triage. Right, you take my temperature. You assess my symptoms. Correct. If you think I might be COVID, I go one direction. If I'm not COVID, I go another.
1: Absolutely. So. If you're sick COVID or potential for being admitted, or you need lab work and x-rays and and some some form of testing, um, we have a separated designated COVID area um, that's completely separate from the rest of the emergency department and you're ushered over there. And everyone's wearing PPE, you're given a mask. Um, It's very organized and safe for patients and staff. And all of your testing takes place in your room uh, with everyone doffing and donning or basically putting on and taking off their sterile equipment very carefully and doing all the proper tests. If you might have COVID symptoms, but you're probably going to go home afterwards or or you don't need complex testing, we have a tent uh, where we have staff also gowned up and ready to safely treat you um, and get the testing that you need. But with the anticipation, you'll probably go home within an hour or less.
0: Okay. So you said it's a safe environment. And I think that's the biggest question people have is how can you ensure me to me that it is safe? So what do you say to the people who are still not quite sure?
1: Absolutely. So um, that's one concern that a lot of my friends and neighbors had that, you know, their kid might have a broken arm, or do I really need to go to the emergency department? Am I going to have COVID? So basically, every room and every area is being consistently and constantly cleaned by the EVS staff, um, with all the proper completely up-to-date sterile technique, anything that's touched, come into contact with, it's given time to be thoroughly sterilized, um, dried before any patient sets foot back in that room, all the paths, egress, restrooms, everything is completely spotless, especially with, you know, decreased foot traffic from um, visitors and family members, Um, the hospital's less you know, there's less hustle and bustle. So it's actually easier to clean. And it's, uh, you know, sparkling at every any given time. So it's actually pretty con- um, confidence inspiring for us and for patients as well.
0: I know I was talking to the emergency room director uh, in one of our Washington facilities yesterday. And he said, I actually think it's safer to come in now than it was before, because there are less patients, we have taken all these precautions.
1: Uh, you know, I, I hesitated to say that. But I, I honestly do feel like there's just that extra level of protection right now. And I think that given the positive response, I think that we can probably continue with this level of cleanliness and level of attention. It's actually really nice um, and reassuring. So on one hand there's as a care provider, as a doc with the nurses and unit secretaries and techs and radiology teams and transport there's in the back of our minds, we're always thinking about COVID and it's kind of the topic du jour and has been for the last few months. But there's that dichotomy between that being in the back of our minds, but also just how clean and efficient everything is in the emergency department right now. Um, So it's an interesting dynamic for sure, but we do feel safe and I think patients should feel safe as well, especially over the last few weeks um, since we've kind of peaked in the emergency department or are peaking right now with the COVID cases.
0: Well, speaking of interesting dynamics and a little bit of the peaking, we have been telling people to stay home for a very long time, sure. um, but it sounds like a lot of our healthcare system and other systems are now starting to say, yes, we want you to stay home, but we also do want you to come in because those people who are afraid to come in or have been nervous about it, we're seeing an increase in strokes, heart attacks, that sort of thing. What What would you say to those people about the fact that if they get in early enough that it may impact their success
1: rates? One thing that we've been talking with our neurology colleagues, our stroke colleagues, as well as our cardiology colleagues is about, about is where have all the heart attacks, the MI's gone, where have all the strokes gone? Um, the volume's definitely down. And with our robust EMS or emergency medical systems and 911 in this country, um, it's hard to imagine people staying at home when they're having heart attack symptoms or stroke-like symptoms. But it seems that people are staying home and waiting and so what we're seeing is we're seeing strokes outside of what we call the TPA window or the thrombolytic or clot buster window um, that could have been managed differently and maybe had better outcomes. Waiting several hours or even days sometimes, and they've fully had their stroke, or they've you know been having heart attack symptoms so long that they're outside of different treatment windows as well. So we're encouraging people to come in um, right away for treatment and evaluation. Um, and erring on the side of caution, especially since it is so safe in the emergency department right now.
0: If people are still nervous or concerned, or maybe they don't even necessarily have a way to get there, is it safe to say that if you think it's life-threatening, you call 911, if otherwise you're not sure, maybe you do a virtual visit for an assessment?
1: I think for sure. So anytime you think you might have an emergency department and you need, or an emergency, you need to go to the emergency department for an in-person evaluation. Um, And that goes for anyone, you know, adult, child, what, whatnot. But if you feel like you might be in that gray area where it's something that might be able to be handled by an urgent care or primary care physician, you go on virtual care, you do a telehealth visit, coronavirus.providence.org is where we've been sending our patients. They've been really happy. Granted, a lot of them do end up needing an in-person evaluation, but if you can keep some people out or schedule them for an outpatient visit or testing, that's great. Um, But we're here and we have such a robust 911 system and EMS locally that we're really blessed to get people in right away.
0: So we've heard a lot about um, you know surgeries and having to postpone surgeries. Are you guys able to do critical surgeries during in an emergency room? Like can you take them in, assess them and send them in?
1: That's a really good question. Um, I almost take for granted that people know that, but yes, absolutely for emergency surgeries, um, we are the doors are wide open we're being really smart about keeping the staff and patients safe but we're we're full blast we're you know all green lights as far as emergency surgery surgeries our specialty colleagues in surgery and all the subspecialties have been fantastic and um we're taking measures to make sure them and their staff are safe as well so yes
0: let's talk a little yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the safety side of things. You've mentioned sure. the PPE, the donning and doffing, several times. Do you, you feel confident that you guys are in a safe environment? You have the equipment that you need?
1: Absolutely. Um, I've been, you know, you see the protests, you see the politics going back and forth and we're, you know, hyper aware of it, even if we try to tune out the news a little bit, but at no point have I felt like I was unsafe. Um, at my emergency department or in the hospital, and staff have what they need, and we're really blessed. Uh, I can't say the same for some other hospital systems where, you know, in other states that I will mention, where some of our other docs work or have worked and they haven't felt as prepared as we have. Um, so I do feel really lucky to have all the PPE. We have these Martian hats um, called PAPPers, which basically circulate air and keep us and the patients safe. All the N95 masks, booties, you name it—the gowns. We have everything we need, um, and it's just about you know being smart about resources and and looking at the long haul. But um, I think we've been very lucky.
0: Well, I know in in your role because we've spoken to you several times that you're not you don't just provide care; you actually oversee a lot of care providers. So, how are they feeling during this this crisis?
1: Um, we we have a special group in our emergency department as far as the team, the nurse practitioners and docs. I think we've, we've been mindful of the fact that we need to check in with one another um, on shift, outside of our shifts, and make sure everyone's doing okay, make sure they have provisions for their family. Um, we have pretty clear guidelines about, you know, if you get sick, when to return to work, um, compensation, all these things. So I think being transparent and communicating with everyone about Everyone's feelings, everyone's concerns, has helped kind of nip any potential issues in the bud, and making sure that we're there for each other as a staff. Because, you know, sometimes we'll sit in the break room or the paramedic room and just say, "This is really stressful. Like this is scary, especially at the beginning, um, when we didn't really know how bad this was going to be." Uh, sometimes the anxiety is actually worse than being sick or, or you know, what's coming around the corner. It can be really thought provoking and scary. So. We've been lucky that we have a good group, um, and we huddled at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. with the nurses, and just talk about whether it's actual medicine and studies that are going on, and separating, you know, myth from from actual fact, or just talking about how scary this is. So uh, it's definitely real. Everyone has a family or loved ones that they're worried about, and um, I think we just have to unite during these times. And fortunately, so far, we've been better for it.
0: That's good to hear. That's really good to hear. We're getting some questions. Um, So I'm going to read this one. Have we expanded testing capacity for patients and caregivers?
1: It seems like every couple of days, um, something comes down the pike about how to use our testing, what kind of testing we have available. We're very lucky right now to have all the testing that we need. Uh, We do. So basically the 15 minute or the rapid turnaround Abbott testing has been allocated pretty fairly, apparently, through all the different hospitals in the US, and we have our allotments. So, for example, if we have a sick patient or somebody who's getting admitted who has COVID symptoms, we're able to get that type of test right away and get a result within half an hour or so, plus minus in my experience. Um, But those are a limited number, and we're careful about our resource stewardship there so we do also have routine tests which can take one to two days so those are generally for the patients who are going home Um, they're going home where they live with family potentially you know immunocompromised or at risk folks so we say you know self-isolate and one of the docs will call you back as soon as we get a result positive or negative so i'm going to look today and look at results and call some patients back and kind of keep in touch that's a nice way to keep in touch with them as well but we do have all the testing we need. And it's kind of like a yellow light, red light, green light as far as how fast people need to be tested. So we we have protocols in place for that.
0: Well, I imagine this question is gonna be a little tough to answer because it says what's the percentage of COVID versus non COVID patients that you're seeing in the ER, but I imagine some of it you <laughs> won't know till you get the tests back, right?
1: Sure. So what we're seeing is about 30% COVID patients or COVID rule outs coming into the emergency department. So that percent or so are getting tested when they come through, which is high, um, but that's what we're seeing right now. And those are patients who are coming in with the fever, the loss of taste or smell, um, the muscle aches or myalgias, but also some atypical symptoms like GI symptoms, nausea, vomiting. So we're very mindful of who's coming in and, and not, you know, honing in too much and focusing on COVID because we're still seeing some influenza patients and asthma exacerbations, but At the same time, you know, we're hyper aware of how COVID can present. Hopefully that answers your question.
0: It does, no, it really does. Talk to me a little bit about the patient uh, ratio, I guess, because when I was talking with the team yesterday, the emergency department down in Washington, they were telling me that the majority of cases they were getting in now were actually not that elderly super sick, that they were seeing a lot of younger cases. But I think if you listen to the media, it sounds like almost every case so far has been the elderly. What would you say about what you're seeing?
1: Um, Yeah, good point, it's interesting, the sub-demographics in each different geographic area. What we're seeing mostly as far as the sicker COVID patients, um, I'm seeing late 50s and above, but we're seeing patients in their 20s, 30s, and those are patients, unless they have comorbidities, whether it's immunocompromised, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, Um, most of these younger patients do go home, and they do do well. you know, what I'm seeing is about 1% mortality. So 99% of these people tend to do well and go home. Um, But as you do get older and and compromised, your risk does go up. Um, So what we're seeing, we're seeing all ages, but really mostly the patients who are getting admitted are older and comorbid, and the younger ones do tend to go home. So we're seeing positives at all ages, but mostly skewed towards older. So maybe not as much as Washington.
0: And comorbidity means you have more than one condition at the same time, right?
1: Correct, exactly. So that's your diabetes, that's your heart disease. Um, if you're undergoing yeah. chemotherapy or radiation therapy for cancer, um, or if your immune system's compromised in any way with like a rheumatologic disease, uh, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, lupus, that sort of thing.
0: Okay. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot, but since you mentioned, I'm reading the question, since you mentioned that you were starting to see it taper off, we're being asked if you think that's because people were sheltering in place, or if you think that we're actually at the end of it. And I think that's two questions to see where you go with that.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, You know, I try to toe that line of knowing that I'm an emergency emergency physician, not an epidemiologist, but I think people have done a good job of shelter in place. I think that we're plateauing right now, we do have more access to more testing. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same or maybe even a bump in positives um, that turn up because we do have that capacity for testing. But because of the sheltering in place, it's allowed the hospital to have capacity. So if you come in and you need to be admitted, the turnaround time for when you come into the hospital, get your test and go upstairs is remarkably fast, maybe even the fastest we've ever seen. And that's because not everyone's getting sick at once. And that's the whole flattening of the curve. So if people continue to do that, they'll continue to be hospital capacity. But at the same time, we have so much capacity that we want people to come when they have emergencies and not wait and not think, not have things get worse. At the same time, at some point, businesses will start to open. We're watching Georgia and other states to see almost as test cases of how they do um, as far as opening earlier to see how those states do and, and how that's going to affect ED volumes and hospital volumes as well. Really, only time will tell. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of continues to linger um, for a while, as far as the COVID cases.
0: Well, we're we're seeing a lot of people. You see it in the news. People are protesting. People are asking us questions. You're saying some states are going earlier. What do you think, though? When people say it's okay, it's time. I'm going back out there. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. What would you say to them?
1: So, I imagine that this this Facebook Live or this talk will have a big enough audience that we'll have a lot of people that maybe don't agree with the whole stay at home and I completely get it. Whether it's, I need to get out of the house, I need to go to work, I wanna go surf, I need to go get a haircut, I need to go shopping. Like people wanna get out of the house and nobody gets it more than than us in the emergency department and in the hospital. And I think a lot of those people say, you know what, if I get healthy, so be it. Or if I get sick, I'm healthy, I'll be fine, no problem. And I completely get that as well. The issue is if you think about anyone in your life who you care about who might be compromised or comorbid, or susceptible, whether they're just older, um, who you don't want to get sick. So for example, I have my family in Boston, I grew up in Boston, and my family's kind of hunkered down. And I'm really worried about them getting sick. By staying home and you know, potentially not spreading the coronavirus, you're protecting them, and you're protecting your loved ones as well. So it's not so much about you, it's not so about so much about you going and getting sick yourself. It's about potentially getting someone else sick. So that's, that's kind of how we think about it. Um, one interesting kind of little test case that I saw in the New England Journal that really caught my eye was a little study, just over 200 people in New York City in a emergency department, sorry, in a hospital up there, uh, in labor and delivery. they all, all these women came in in labor, and they were all tested for COVID-19. Four out of the 200-plus uh, women had some symptoms of fever or shortness of breath, and those four women were positive, but actually, I believe it was 15% of them, or 14% ended up being positive as a whole and had no symptoms. Some of them ended up having fever later, and some symptoms later, they all did pretty well from, from what I saw in the limited data. But if you can extrapolate that, I've heard numbers as much as 30%, but 15 let's say 15% of people in the United States are just carrying it asymptomatically, healthy people, healthy enough to have a kid, healthy enough to just be out and about. You're talking about 50 million people in the United States who could just be at any given point walking around asymptomatic. So that's that's the big concern. It's not you going to the store. It's not you going to work. It's just the population as a whole. That was a really run on answer, wasn't it?
0: Oh, it was actually, it was really good. You actually answered three questions that we got in from people while you did that. So that's good. Um, We did get a question that says, if my spouse is sick, gets COVID, how can I stay not unsick?
1: So- Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, so it's hard. It's really hard. Um, We had one healthcare worker who was sick, who who's actually, who I know, um, who had COVID-19. confirmed, and basically stayed in their room and had meals put basically at the door six feet away, no sharing restrooms, no sleeping together, staying away from all family members until they had two negative tests. Um, A lot of local businesses and hotels have been gracious enough to donate or offer reduced price or free hotel rooms or extended stay motels. So that you can recover, but basically, it's as much isolation as possible. It's hand washing, and it's really being diligent about being as far away from each other as possible, as you know, logis- log- logistics allow.
0: Well, we got a question that says, "Should I call ahead if I think I have COVID before I come into the emergency room?"
1: You don't need to do that. um We, you know, we'll do our screening and our intake when you come in, so you don't necessarily have to let us know. Although that's very kind. Uh, we appreciate it. But basically, until you know, you're taken to the tent or to the COVID area or to the resuscitation area or whatnot, um, you're COVID until proven otherwise, in some sense, as far as how, you know, we interact and our masking and all that. So you don't need to do that.
0: So this may be more of a general question, but it's how would I know when I should come to the hospital versus when I should go to an urgent care or when I should call 911?
1: That's a whole nother
0: episode, right?
1: (laughs) That is is a little bit of our last episode and and especially salient right now. If you think you have an emergent medical condition, you got to call 911. If you feel like it's something that can be handled at an urgent care, you know, bump or scrape or some kind of routine testing. um, Because even after this, you know, talk, you're still nervous about going to the emergency department. Um, you can go to an urgent care or call your PMD but or you can do the coronavirus.providence.org but we we take all comers and we're starting to see your bread and butter emergencies trickle back to the emergency department which is reassuring um, but we we take all comers and you just have to use your judgment and it, you know personally I like to err on the side of judgment and caution and so yeah, no one will ever turn you away from the emergency department. Okay
0: we're getting questions can i come to the emergency room to get a test if i can't get one somewhere else do i get charged for a test if i go to the er if i'm coming in for something that's not related to covid how does that work
1: that's a really good question um to be completely honest the as far as the billing goes for the COVID testing I think it's still so early that I'm not seeing how the billing goes as far as insurance covering it so I can't speak to that. Um, if we circle back, I can maybe get an answer for your listeners or for our listeners. but right now I yeah. don't know that answer as far as the charge. Uh, but I do know that um, in, insurance should cover you know any emergency department, whether you have insurance or lim- an HMO or whatever kind of insurance, uh, we will see you and take care of you. Did that kind of answer your question?
0: It did. What about coming to the ER just to get a test?
1: Just to get a test. So basically, it depends on um, your vital signs, your symptoms, your your risk for developing illness from it. But chances are, if you have any type of symptoms or you need to go back to work, uh, we will test you. It might be the one to two day routine test, but we have enough tests. We absolutely have plenty of the routine tests. So if you're willing to wait a day or two, which most people have been, Um, we'll call you and get you those results. And then you just basically go home and isolate until you have them and act as if you have it, if you're concerned about it. But we are seeing those and we're very happy to see them as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, I know we're almost out of time. And I was told I need to ask you your one last question. And my question to you is, what do you want people to know? What's the takeaway from today? Is there anything that you want to share?
1: Sure. So basically, just to circle back with the, you know, what if I'm feeling like I should be able to go out and I'm tired of being cooped in. We hear you, we get it, we have empathy, Um, but just think about your loved ones that might not be able to fight this off as well as you Um, and just try to listen to your local authorities and just know that the hospitals are there and open and the whole stay at home um, doesn't apply if you're sick. So we're here for you. And a big thanks to all the people that are staying at home that are being diligent. I know it's not easy. And to all the local businesses and restaurants that have been so good to the hospital, sending food, sending cards, just absolutely makes our day. And we're so thankful for the outpouring of love. Uh, EMS, our local paramedics and firefighters and police departments have been so gracious. Um, the EVS at the hospital, the registration, all the all the unsung heroes are really doing an amazing job of rallying for for all the people listening. So, I'm really proud of how everyone's come together. And you know, we're here anytime.
0: So stay home and stay safe. And if you have an emergency situation, come in because we're open, we're safe, we're here.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Much much more
1: eloquently put.
0: Oh no, well, I've had a little practice on this one. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. A, for joining us today and everyone for listening and sending in questions. To learn more about our programs and to learn more about the coronavirus, please visit coronavirus.providence.org. And make sure to follow us on social media at Providence Health System on Facebook and Instagram and under Providence on Twitter. So thanks everyone for joining us.